Hey, this is Byron, and I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Church. Thanks for listening to our weekly sermon podcast. I hope this message blesses you, encourages you, and helps you experience life change through Jesus. For more sermons like this, blogs, resources, or opportunities to get connected, visit us at www.redemptiontx.com. Well, if you could have one thing in the world, what would it be? If you could have one thing, anything that you wish for, anything that you ask for, it's yours. You get one wish, one thing. What is the one thing out of everything that you would ask for? Would you ask for a million dollars? Okay, a million dollars, to be honest, doesn't go very far anymore. I mean, we'd have to ask for at least $10 million. Would you ask for $10 million? Would you ask for money? Would you ask for wealth? Would you ask for possessions? Would you ask for a nice long vacation somewhere on a beach with the frou-frou drink and no kids? Is that what you would ask for? What would you ask for if you could have anything? Would you ask for a marriage? Would you ask for a better marriage? Would you ask for kids? Would you ask for better kids? What would be the... One thing that you would ask for if you could have anything in the world, what would it be? Well, the same situation happened with a man named Solomon. Solomon, he was the um, third king over the nation of Israel. He was just he was just made king because his dad David had passed away, and. On Solomon's coronation day, he goes and he makes a massive amounts of sacrifices to the Lord on behalf of the people. And then that evening, God came and visited Solomon in a dream. And God said, Solomon, whatever you want, I'm going to give it to you because you have found favor in my sight. Whatever you want, one thing out of anything, it's says, and what do you want? And Solomon, he thought about it for a minute, and this is what Solomon says in 2 Chronicles chapter 1. He says this, give me now wisdom. Out of anything in the world, this is what Solomon asked for. He says, give me wisdom and knowledge to go out and to come before this people. Because who can that you govern these people of yours, which is so great? God answered Solomon and says, because this was in your heart and you have not asked for possessions or wealth or honor or the lives of those who hate you, and you have not even asked for Life, but you have asked for wisdom and knowledge for yourself that you may govern over the people whom I've made you king. Wisdom and knowledge are granted to you. Get this. He says, but not only will I give you wisdom and knowledge, I will also give you riches, possessions, honor, such as none of the kings who had before you and none after you shall have the like. God says, ask me anything in the world, one thing that you want more than anything else, and it's yours. I will give you anything. And Solomon says, God, if there's one thing that I can have, this is the one thing that I want. I want wisdom. Give me wisdom. And the Lord says, because you asked for wisdom, and you didn't ask for things to be selfish or to spend on your own self-interest. You didn't ask for a million dollars. You didn't ask for a Lamborghini. You didn't ask for a vacation. You didn't ask for wealth or possessions or privilege or honor or prestige. You didn't ask for any of those things. So here's what I'm going to do. Not only am I going to give you wisdom, but I'm also going to give you everything else. Because when you get wisdom, you get everything else. When you get wisdom, you get the blessings of God. And Solomon, he receives the wisdom, and wisdom for him changes everything. 
When he receives the wisdom, he goes on and he becomes the greatest king in the nation of Israel. During his entire reign, perfect peace. He establishes the kingdom. He establishes the nation. He is the greatest king in Israel's history. And from there, he also becomes the most wealthy, the most prominent, the most powerful, the most rich, and the wisest person who's ever lived. And then under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, along with the wisdom that God gives, Solomon goes on and he writes four books of the Bible. He helps his dad, David, write some of the Psalms. As a young man, he writes the book Song of Solomon. As an old man, he writes the book of Ecclesiastes. And right here in the middle, in the prime of his life, Solomon sits down and he writes the book known as Proverbs. Proverbs is going to be the book that we're studying over the next 10 weeks. We're starting a brand new series today through the book of Proverbs, and it's called Wisdom for Life, because Proverbs is all about super helpful, beneficial, practical wisdom that's for your everyday life. And so we're going to be starting this new book and this new series today. And if you're new here to Redemption, something that I I want to tell you is that at Redemption Church, we love the Bible, we love preaching through the Bible, and our favorite way to preach the Bible is to literally preach the Bible. Okay, so what we do is, it's called expository preaching. Big fancy college word. Can we say that together? Expository preaching. You guys sound wise already. You can go and you can impress your friends. You're like, I learned something at church today. What else he said? I don't know, but I do remember that. Big fancy word. Expository preaching. What this means is that we like to pick the book of the Bible And then we like to read the book. We love the book. We study the book. We live in the book. We get everything out of this one book that we possibly can. And there's a couple of reasons that we do that. And some of you are new, so let me explain it to you. The reason why we love expository preaching is because, number one, I'm not smart. Okay, I'm just not that clever. I can't come up with a new subject or a new topic every single week. Just thinking about it gives me anxiety. And so what I do is I pick a book and we say, okay, well, I'm going to start in chapter one, and then we're going to work our way to the end. What am I going to preach next week? Oh, yeah, chapter two. What about the next week? Uh, chapter three. So it just helps me. It's, it's a lot of ease. And it also helps you because then you get to know exactly what I'm preaching on next week. And so it's a win-win for the both of us. So number one is I'm not smart. Number two, one of the reasons that we do it is because it helps you hold me accountable. That you know that every single Sunday, when you walk in these doors, I'm going to preach the Bible. That I'm not preaching my opinion. I'm not preaching, you know, something that I made up. That I'm not just picking and choosing the parts that I like or the parts that I don't like. The parts to draw a big crowd. The parts that make you give warm, fuzzy feelings on the inside. Rainbows, butterflies. No, I have to preach all of this. And so you know that when I say something, it's not from me. It's from here. And so it helps you hold me accountable to what the Word of God says. So number two, the number three is it also helps you learn how to read the Bible for yourself. That as we study through a book, you're able to connect it all together. You're able to see how everything works together within context. And you're able to be able to understand how everything ultimately points to Jesus. And so that's the reason that we love studying straight through books of the Bible. And over the course of Redemption's history, we've done, I believe, close to 10 different books. And when we come to Proverbs, it's going to be different. It's going to be different than any other book that we studied because there is no other book in the Bible like the book of Proverbs. So when we studied the book of James, 
James is a letter of instruction to the church. And so there is a formula, there is a layout, there is an outline whenever James is writing to that church. Whenever Paul was writing to Titus, it was a personal letter. There was a thought, there was an idea. There was something that he was working towards to be able to do that. When we study through the book of Jonah, it's an Old Testament history book. And so we know that here's the beginning, here's the end, here's where we're going, here's how it takes place. When we study through the gospel of Mark, it's a gospel narrative. And so each individual story builds into one greater story. When we come to Proverbs, there is no outline. There is no, you know, nice layout. There is no syllogism. You know why? Because Proverbs is all about life. And life doesn't come with an outline, amen? Life doesn't come point one, point two, point three. Life doesn't come in a nice little syllogism. It is all over the place, and it barely makes sense. And that's exactly what we see in the book of Proverbs. That Proverbs is just jumping around. It's skipping around. It says a bunch of different things and on the surface it doesn't seem like it makes any sense because one verse you'll read it and he's like don't eat too much food the next verse he's like and spank your kids I mean you're like what how does this work if you eat too much food you spank no that's not what so when you read through Proverbs it just bounces around and you're like I have no clue what this is talking about because it's all adding up to one something greater so think about Proverbs like this how many of you ever use Twitter Okay, y'all ever on Twitter? Wow, we need to reach more Gen Z people. You guys need to get on Twitter. It's okay. Nobody really cares about Twitter anymore. Those of you who are on Twitter, think about Solomon or Proverbs like King Solomon's Twitter account. Like, what do you do when you're on Twitter? Like, you got 160 characters to say whatever it is that you're thinking. And that's exactly what Solomon does. He sits down and he's like, hmm, okay, well, that sounds nice. And so he just tweet, tweets that out. So there's Proverbs, you know, one, two, tweet, Proverbs one, four, tweet. Proverbs 1.6. That's exactly what Proverbs is like. It's a collection of wise sayings, collections of puns. It's a collection of wisdom tweeted out or written down by Solomon. Okay, And when you read through a Twitter account or through a Facebook feed, it doesn't look like it makes any sense on the surface. But if you dig down a little bit deeper, it all makes sense because it's all about life. And that's exactly what Proverbs is. Proverbs is a book of wisdom that really is all about life. And so during the course of the series, we're going to break it up into 10 different subjects over the course of 10 weeks, and it's all going to deal with one thing, and the answer is life. And so here's the layout for our series in, in, in Proverbs. The first week we're going to do is this. Could you throw the slide up, please? The first week we're going to do is this, life. Okay, that's today. We're going to be talking about life. The second week is friends, then women, then men, then work, then money, then dating, then marriage, then parenting, and then lastly, death. That's where we're heading. And so as you read over this slide, I don't want you to pick and choose the weeks that you want to come. Okay, I don't want you to say, ooh, I like that one and I don't like that one. So I think I'm going to come on what day week and I'm going to miss this week. And now I know exactly how to plan the rest of my next 10 weeks, what days I'll be at church and what days I won't be at church. Don't do that because every single one of these are crucial for you living a life that is pleasing to God. So think about it, okay? For those of you, for men, right? On the week I'm preaching to women, okay, you need to be here. First reason is that's Mother's Day. You need to be here on that day, okay? You need to be here. And also, men, you don't understand women, so you're gonna need a lot of wisdom. So you need to come for that one, okay? And also, just good news, um, this Mother's Day sermon is going to be better than last year's because last year, if you remember, I preached on demon possession. This year, <laughs> it's wisdom for women. Okay? My wise wife helped me with that one. 
And then for the women, the next week's going to be men. So women, bring your men because they need a little bit of wisdom. Amen? And so they need some wisdom. And then for those of you who are dating and you're like, well, I'm dating. I'm not married. I don't need to the marriage sermon, statistically, one day you're going to be married and you're going to need a little bit of wisdom for that. For those of you who are married, don't think, well, I'm going to skip the dating one because if you don't have wisdom, pretty soon you'll be dating and the game has changed and you don't want to go there. Trust me, it's terrible. I do counseling with people dating all the time. It's not pretty. You're going to need some wisdom for your marriage. And then death, death is inevitable for all of us. And so we want to learn how to live a life. So that way, when we do die, we're able to do so in a way that brings glory to God and good to others. Amen. So it's all about life. And that's where we're going to be studying for the next 10 weeks. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and flip to and find the book of Proverbs. We're about to dive in. Before we do that, there's one more thing that I need to add before we get started. Whenever we're preaching through this series and you're listening and you're learning, I don't want you to say, Byron only picked this series because he's so smart. I don't want you to say that. I don't want you to think, well, Byron picked this because he's so wise and he's so understanding and he's so smart and he's so amazing and he's so awesome and Byron sure has everything in his life together. No, no, not at all, not at all, right? I mean, you could ask my wife. She's like, Byron has no business preaching the book of Proverbs. Like, you just come stay with us for one day. Lord, please help me, right? That boy needs a lot of wisdom. I didn't pick this book because I am wise. I picked this book because I want to be wise. That I want to grow, I want to learn, I want to know, and I want to be able to understand wisdom. Proverbs says, anyone who thinks he's wise in his own eyes, there's more hope for a fool than there is for him. Okay, so some of you are like, I don't need this, I'm wise. No, you're not, you're a fool. Right, you're like, hey, any of you wise? You're like, actually, that's me. I'm, I'm pretty wise. I think I'm, I think I'm pretty wise. Solomon's like, no, put your hand down. Right, because as soon as you say you're wise, you lose all your wisdom. All we can say is this, is that we are people passionately pursuing after wisdom. And so we want to get wisdom. We want to grow. We want to know. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to study for the next 10 weeks the book of Proverbs. And one of the best ways we can grow in wisdom is by asking good questions. The best way for you to grow in wisdom is for you to ask good questions. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about Proverbs. We're going to do a nice little overview, connect everything in together, and we're going to ask four questions about what is wisdom. That's the reason that we're at the end of the sermon in the 530 service. We're going to be answering your questions because one of the best ways for you to get wisdom is for you to ask questions. And we love you. We care for you. We want to help you. And so at the 5.30 p.m. service, we're going to answer your questions live here on the stage. It's going to be totally anonymous. So we're not going to know who you are. So you're not going to be brought up under church discipline. You know, ask the real things. Ask the honest questions. We really want to learn. We really want to grow. So you can text 409-203-4237. Go ahead and write that down. We're going to do it throughout the rest of the series. Text in. Ask your questions. We would love to be able to help you. And so today we're going to ask four questions about wisdom. The first question is this, what is wisdom? Okay, if we're going to study it for 10 weeks, we might as well know what it is, amen? So what is wisdom? Here's what Proverbs says. Solomon writes in Proverbs 9.10, he says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Solomon says, wisdom, it's right here. If you want to know what wisdom is, this is the beginning of wisdom. He says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, when he says the fear of the Lord, 
Okay, that's not like what your dad said when he caught you doing something bad, right? When your dad came home and he's like, I'm gonna put the fear of God in you, boy, right? And then you're like, oh no, mommy, can you please come help, right? That's not wisdom. That's not what Solomon's talking about. He's not talking about fearing God like you're afraid or like you're cowering in a corner waiting for your heavenly father to come home and beat you. That's not what Solomon is talking about. When he says the fear of the Lord, Here's what he means. He means a respect. He means a reverence. He means an awe. He means an honor. He means a awesomeness, a holiness, a worthiness, a glory, a worship of God. When he says fear of the Lord, what he means is worship because worship is the beginning of wisdom. Just think about it. How did Solomon get his wisdom? He started by worshiping. He performed the sacrifices to glorify and bring honor to God in his life. His worship literally began the move of wisdom in his life. As he made the sacrifices, he made the request, he made the ask, God gave him wisdom. Worship is the beginning of wisdom. Worship is wisdom. And here's the reason why. Because it brings an awareness of God's presence into your life. Worship brings an awareness of God's presence in your life. And when God's presence is in your life, it changes everything. It changes the way you work. It changes the way you live. It changes the way you view money. It changes the way you view marriage. It changes the way you raise your kids. Because then you realize that every aspect of my life is not just for me, it's ultimately for him. That every aspect of my life is a worshiping act where I am giving glory to God. And that changes the way you live. It changes the way you see. It changes the way you love. It changes everything about your life, and it starts with the fear of the Lord because that's the beginning of wisdom. And here's another thing. If you're taking notes, go ahead and write this down. Because of the fear of the Lord, you don't have to be afraid in life. When you fear the Lord, you don't have to be afraid in life. And here's the reason why. Because God is big. Because God is great. Because God is strong. He is the one who made the heavens and the earth. He is outside of the universe and time, eternity past, eternity present, eternity future, that he is always powerful, that he made the stars and the moon and the galaxies. He paints gold on the horizons. He digs the oceans out with his hands. God made everything and everything that comes in between, and he's always powerful and he's always present. That means he's with you right now, that he's walking with you. He's looking over you. He's watching out for you, and the Lord's presence in your life changes the way you live. Because you don't have to be afraid in life because you have the fear of the Lord. You say, who do I need to be afraid of? My problems may be big, but my God is bigger. My problems may be great, but my God is greater. This situation, it may be bigger than me, but my God is bigger than the situation that I am. And so here's what I'm going to do. Because I have wisdom, I will worship. The fear of the Lord removes fear in your life. The second thing he says is this, that knowledge of the Holy One is insight, knowledge. That means you can know the Holy One. You can know God. You can have a relationship with him. You can spend time with him. You can listen to him. You can learn from him. You can build a relationship with him. And the more you get to know God, the wiser you become. Hey, what is wisdom? It's worship and it's also relationship. 
that you can know God. This is what makes Christianity so unique. This is the one thing that differentiates Christianity from every other major religion in the world, is that we believe God is flowable. See, religion teaches that God, he is out there, that he's a force floating around in heaven. He's just an ethereal being and that he doesn't make his way to us. We have to make our way to him. And that through good deeds or through good works or you know, our good deeds, living out our bad deeds, through reincarnation, paying off our karmic debt, making some pilgrimage to some holy place, giving so much money, maybe, possibly, potentially, at the end of our lives, we can finally get to know God. Or maybe it's like the deists say, Deism believes that there is, a, there is a God and that he is out there somewhere. He made the world, set it into motion, but like a deadbeat heavenly father, he stepped out to go smoke a cigarette and he never came back and me and you were on our own. That's what deists believe. Or it could be like the atheists who say there is no God, there's no bother even knowing. Or the agnostics who say there maybe is a God, but we cannot know him, and so don't even bother trying. Christianity comes along and says, no, there is a God. He does love you. He does care for you. He is there for you. He listens to your prayers. And guess what? You can get to know him because not only is he all-powerful, not only is he always present, but our God is also personal that you can get to know him, you can get to spend time with him, you can worship him, and you can have a relationship with him because that's what wisdom is. Wisdom is, is, is worship and relationship together in your life. But wisdom is something else. It says that it's important to understand. He says wisdom and knowledge. There is a distinction between wisdom and knowledge. right? There is a distinction between the two. See, knowledge is what you know. Wisdom is how you live. You can know a lot, but if you don't do anything, you're not very wise. Right? You can have all the answers, but if you don't do anything with it, then you're not very wise. Wisdom is what you know, but, but, but knowledge is what you know, rather. Wisdom is what you do with it. Here's the difference between wisdom and knowledge. It's application. You have to apply the wisdom of God in your life for you to be able to see the benefits of it. See, there's a lot of people who know a lot about God, but they don't live in a certain way, so they're not wise, they're, they're foolish. You can believe God is real, but if you live as if he's not, you're not wise, you're foolish. You can believe God is powerful, but if you pray like he's not, then you're not wise, you're foolish. You can know God is holy, but if you live a life of sin, then you're not wise, you're foolish. There's some people who know a lot about God, but they don't do anything about it. Those people are not wise. Those people are the epitome of foolishness. Listen, you can have a systematic theology totally memorized. Wayne Grudem committed to heart, but guess what? If you don't live it out, you're a fool. You can go to Bible college and you can get a PhD in foolishness. You can be number one in your Awana's class and if you walk away from the Lord, you're still a fool. You can know a lot about God. I meet people all the time, they're like, oh, I know a lot about God. Yeah, but you're still a fool. Because knowing and not doing is not wisdom, that's foolishness. The difference between wisdom and knowledge is what you do with it. It's the application in your life. He says this, he says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Worship is the beginning of wisdom. And then knowledge, doing something about it, putting it applied in your life, that's what wisdom is. So here's what wisdom is. Wisdom is the application of knowledge in every area of your life. 
The second question that we're going to see is this. Why is wisdom so important? Why is wisdom so important? Here's what Solomon says in Proverbs 4, 6. He says it starts off because wisdom will guard you. Here's how he says it. Do not forsake her. That's wisdom. And she will keep you. Love her. And she will guard you. Essentially, what he's saying is this, is that wisdom will protect you, prevent you. It will guard you from living a life of sin. Wisdom protects you from sin. Sin is anything that separates us from God. Sin is when you fall short of the glory and the standard that God has set before you. Sin is missing the mark. That's what sin is. And Solomon would add one more. He says this, sin is forsaking wisdom. Sin is forsaking wisdom in your life. As Christians, we need to understand this, that sin is not just a mistake. Right, Sin is not just messing up. Sin is not just a bad day. Sin is not just an overreaction. Sin is not just, whoopsie, my bad. That's not what sin is. Sin is this. Sin is forsaking wisdom. I love what C.S. Lewis says. He says that sin is not so much a hatred of God as much as a forgetfulness of him. Sin is forsaking wisdom. And if you love wisdom, then it will guard you, protect you, prevent you from living a life of sin. There's so many things that we go through in our life that would be easily avoided if we would just learn to love wisdom. There's so many situations that we find ourselves in that we could avoid, we could prevent, we could be protected from if we just learned how to love wisdom. I believe that the Bible sets forth the best life. I believe that Bible teaches us how we are to live a life, and it shows us that if we love wisdom, then we're going to be protected from a lot of painful, difficult things that that we go through. Let me just give you a couple of examples. Proverbs, it it talks a lot about the beauty of marriage. In Proverbs 31, it gives us um, the, the virtuous wife and her husband, and it shows us how a husband and wife are to fear the Lord together. So the biblical imperative there is that a man and a woman would attend church a Jesus-loving, Bible-centered, spirit-filled church together on a regular basis, not once every quarter or presidential election. Regular church attendance. There's wisdom that comes from that because in America, the average divorce rate's about 60%. Do you know what the divorce rate in the church is? 30. You could literally cut the divorce rate in half if husbands and wives would come to church together. That's wisdom. Wisdom will guard you. And I want to add this, that I know that in our church, the Lord's been doing amazing work. Lots of people are coming in. And over the past several weeks and months, I've met many amazing women who come to church, who check in their kids, who raise their hands, who worship, who take communion, and their husbands are at home. I know that. I I see that. And I want you to know that I love you. And my prayer for you is this. By the end of this series, your husband will be sitting next to you because it'll guard you. It'll guard your marriage. I know that. And so women, keep it up. You're amazing. The amount of dedication it takes for a mom to bring her kids to church without her husband is powerful. Thank you so much. I see you. I love you. I care about you. My prayer is that by the end of this series, your husband will be right here. There's a lot of wisdom that can guard you. Another example is that people who tithe, tend to do better with their finances. 
It's just true. Proverbs says that if you give first and best to the Lord, then he's going to bless you. Now, this is not what he's saying. He's not saying that God's like a cosmic ATM, that if you slide 20 bucks in, a Lamborghini's going to drop down. That's not Proverbs. Okay, that's prosperity, and that's not what we see in theology. But here's what we do know, is that when you give to God, you don't have a lot of money left over to be dumb is that when you see that your money ultimately belongs to him and that he's the owner and you're the steward, you don't have a lot of money left over to be doing dumb, frivolous things because it's not your money anyways. It belongs to him. He's just letting you keep it for a little bit. Wisdom's gonna guard you. Another example is this. Proverbs says that wine makes a man a mocker and a man who drinks too much wine is a fool. Bible says don't get drunk. Anybody ever been Okay, a lot of wisdom can help you. <laughs> right. True or false, right? You, you don't do good things when you're drunk, right? It's true. Do you remember college? You're like, no. Exactly. Proves my point. <laughs> is drinking alcohol a sin? Get drunk. No. Is getting drunk a sin? Yes. Why? Because you do dumb things. So don't, don't get drunk. Wisdom can guard you. For those of you who are single and you're dating, okay, wisdom will guard you in that moment of your life because Proverbs is really a book written to singles about how to become adults. It's written to young men. And so you're gonna see over and over again, he says, my son, my son, my son, my son, my son, listen to me. And so it's written to young men, teaching them how to become men. It's written to singles, teaching them how to live their life. And one of the things it talks about a lot is promiscuity before marriage. Because if you wait until marriage, you're going to save yourself from a lot of heartache. If you wait until marriage, you're going to save yourself from a lot of pain. If you wait until you're married, you're going to save yourself from a lot of difficulties that come from living in a hookup, breakup, shack up culture. You're going to save yourself from a lot, of a lot of pain. For those of you who are married, there's going to be great wisdom. For those of you who are dating, there's going to be great wisdom. For those of you with mo money, there's going to be a lot of great wisdom. Because when we learn to live and love wisdom, it's going to protect us from different aspects and areas in our life. Because here's the truth, is that wisdom, it will guard you. It prevents you from living a life in sin. The second thing is this. He tells us that wisdom, this is my favorite point, wisdom will make you happy. Wisdom will make you happy. Here's how he says it. He says, happy is a man who finds wisdom and who acquires understanding. Christians, I love you. I'm with you. I'm one of you. But you got to get over this martyr complex you have. Christians walk around all the time like they're sucking on a lemon. You're like, I'm a Christian, and my life is so boring, and I can't do anything fun because I'm a Christian. Can you just get over this? Everybody hates me. Nobody loves me because I love Jesus. Can we just get, get over this <laughs> martyrdom complex that we have? Listen, I'm going to make fun of my Calvinist friends because I'm one of you. I'm with you. I'm reformed. Let me make fun of you guys for just a little bit because there's so much things I can make fun of us for. I love the doctrines of grace. I love Paul. I love Martin Luther. I love reading John Calvin. I love reading all of those dead guys with all their footnotes. I love all of those things. And when I read them, I know it's true, but can I just tell you, you're a bummer. That's exactly what you are. You're a bummer because you're like, you're like, I'm just a worm and I'm just unworthy and I'm deserving of wrath and I'm a child of wrath and I deserve to go to hell and God loves me. Like, that's true, but you can also be happy. Did you know that? You can be happy because you're saved. You should be 
happy. Because you're loved, you should be happy. Right? I mean, we read Paul, and Paul's like, suffering produces character, and if you want to become a man, you got to suffer. And we read Peter, and he's like, I rejoice to share in the sufferings of Christ. Crucify me upside down. And we read James, and he's like, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you suffer trials of many types. And we're like, bring on the trials. And we think, oh, i got to suffer. If I want to be holy, i got to suffer. I need to suffer. I need to suffer. And then Solomon comes around, and he says, happy. Okay, listen. Solomon is just as much inspired by the Holy Spirit as Paul. So Solomon says, guess what? You can be happy. How many of you like to be happy? Right? If we were taking a vote, I'd choose happy. I like being happy. It's okay for you to be happy. Christians, it's okay for you to be happy. And you know how you get happiness? Wisdom. Wisdom, it, it leads to happiness. And, and people all the time in the church, they're like, God doesn't want you to be happy. God wants you to be holy. We're Christians. We're not happy people. We're holy people. This is church. Knock it off. You can't laugh. You can't have fun. What do you think you're doing? This is God's house. You know, you need to take that hat off. Quick, play drums. Right? We got to be really boring. This is church. You got to be super, totally, duper serious. Because we're holy people. But you know what I've discovered? Is that holiness should lead to happiness. Holiness should lead to happiness because holy people, they're happy people, right? If you're following Jesus and you're not happy, can I just say you're probably not doing it right? I mean, when I read through the gospels of Mark, right? Here's what I see. Jesus, he looks pretty happy, right? Jesus, he's walking around. He's hanging out with his disciples. He's telling stories. He looks pretty happy. Whenever Jesus heals another person, performs a miracle, whenever he casts out a demon, do you think that dude's happy? I think he's pretty happy, right? Whenever Jesus feeds 5,000 with a Lunchable, right? Those people, they looked pretty happy. Whenever Jesus heals the man who's paralyzed, do you think he was happy? I think he was pretty happy. Whenever Jesus turned water into wine, do you think those people were happy? Yeah, I bet they were pretty happy. Do you know who the only people I see in the gospel of Mark who are not happy? The religious people. They're walking around, they're like, I can't believe Jesus is hanging out with those people. What is he doing? He looks like he's having fun. How come he's going to a party? We don't get invited to parties. What is that? Is that water and wine? That better be grape juice. What does Jesus think he's doing? He's hanging out with those people. We don't like those people. What are we going to do about it? Ah, we should kill them. Right? That's religious people. And they think, we're holy. And he says, no, you're not. You're not holy. Right? Because here's the truth. Is that holiness... It leads to happiness. So if you're following Jesus and you're not holy, you're not doing it right. And if you're thinking you're holy and you're not happy, then you're not doing it right. Because happy people tend to be holy people. You can be happy and you can follow Jesus. He says, wisdom leads to happiness. I've been a Christian for 13 years. You know what? I'm pretty happy. My life is better now than it was before I followed Jesus. Before Jesus, I was a wreck. Right Before Jesus, total train wreck, horrible, terrible, jacked up. I mean, before Jesus, I was strung out on drugs, living in abandoned houses. Today, I got my own. Right Before Jesus, I was sleeping with dozens of girls. Since Jesus, one girl, pretty happy. 
right? Before Jesus, I would wake up every single day lamenting being alive. Since Jesus, I haven't had a hangover in I don't know how long. And you know what? That makes me pretty happy. You can follow Jesus and you can be happy. And the answer is wisdom. Wisdom leads to happiness. It's a good thing. So y'all get a little happy. Amen? Amen. Amen. Do I have to preach that point again? We're going to be happy people, right? Amen. Then the next one we see is this, that wisdom, it leads to life. Here's what he says. He says, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, leads to life. And whoever rest, has it rest satisfied, he will not be visited by harm. Solomon says, if you have wisdom, then you're not going to have a lot of trouble. If you have wisdom, you're not going to have a lot of problems. If you have wisdom, you're not going to have a lot of harm. And some of you, immediately you're thinking, wait, there's a contradiction in the Bible. Because Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. So Solomon and Jesus, they disagree with one another. There's a contradiction in the Bible. Solomon says, if you're wise, you're not going to have a lot of trouble. And then Jesus says, if you are in this world, you are going to have trouble. So who's right? The answer is both. That they're actually not disagreeing. They're talking about something a little bit different. So when you read through the gospels, I want you to understand this. Those are promises. Jesus is making a promise. Okay. When he says in this world, you will have trouble. That's a promise. Okay. It's inevitable. It's unavoidable. It's going to happen in this world. You will have trouble. You can bank on it. And then Solomon says, those who have wisdom, they're not going to experience harm. Well, what is he saying? Jesus is giving promises. Solomon is giving probabilities. See, the Gospels, they are promises. The Proverbs, well, they're just probabilities. What Solomon's saying is, as he's the king, and he's sitting back, and he's looking over his kingdom, and he's surveying his life, he says this. He says, you know what I've experienced? The people who walk in wisdom tend to have a better quality of life. People who walk in wisdom, they don't tend to have as many problems as other people. People who walk in wisdom, they don't seem to go through as much trouble. People who walk in wisdom, they tend to have a better quality of life because wisdom leads to life. I've been a pastor now for about five years. And here's what I've discovered. In this world, you will have trouble. It's going to happen. 20% of that trouble comes from living in a broken and fallen world. 20% of the trouble that we experience in life is because sin is real. Satan hates us. That the effects of sin are felt all around the world from death, from disease, from famine, from cancer, from plagues. Sin is very real. Satan is very real. And about 20% of the problems we experience in our life come from that. 80% of the problems, that's on you. 80% of the problems that you experience in life well, they're your own fault, right? You're walking through life with the limp because you keep shooting yourself in the foot, right? 80% of the problems are yours. So you say something that you shouldn't say, right? You and your spouse, you'll get in a fight and then you overreact and you say something you don't mean. And then you have to sleep on the couch for a week. Buddy, that's your fault, right? Let's say your kids are running around screaming. You lose your cool. You yell at one, okay? That's, that's on you, Let's say your boss is overworking you, you're underpaid, you're overwhelmed, and you fire off a nasty email. That's on you. You lose your job, right? Your marriage is struggling, right? Kids are driving you crazy. The things you say, the things you do, the things you act, that's on you. You can't just be like, God, why? God, why? God, why is everything gone? 
so bad. God, what are you doing up there? And God's like, hey, stop looking at me and start looking in the mirror. That's on you, buddy. He's like, God, I can't believe it. How was I supposed to know? And he's like, I wrote a book. It's called Proverbs. Read it. <laughs> There's a lot of things in our life that we could avoid if we would learn to live and to love and wisdom. Right? You can't blame God for everything. He wrote you a book. He wants to help you. You're responsible for 80% of the problems that you experience in your life. And if I were to tell you that you could get rid of 80% of your problems, what would you do? You're like, mm, no, thank you. No, I like my problems. I made them myself. I have nice and... I, I like having a receding hairline, and I like taking a bunch of medication, and, you know, I like yelling at my kids and sleeping on the couch. That's my life. I enjoy this. If you could get rid of 80% of your problems, would you do it? They need to get wisdom. Because wisdom leads to life. Solomon says, here's what I've discovered. Life is hard. People who have wisdom, they navigate through it a little bit better. Because wisdom leads to life. The next thing he says is this. He says, how do you get wisdom? So we've talked about what wisdom is. Okay, it, wisdom is worship, relationship. Wisdom is the application of knowledge in your life. Wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. We talked about what wisdom is. We talked about why it's important, because it guards you, because it makes you happy, and because it lives, leads to life. How many of you right now, you're like, I could use a little bit of wisdom. Okay, if your hand's not raised then you need to raise your hand because you need a little bit of wisdom. So we need wisdom. So how do we get wisdom? Well, Solomon, he tells us in Proverbs 2. Here's what he says. He says, my son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your attentive to wisdom, inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight, if you raise your voice for understanding, if you seek like silver and search for it like hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord, that's wisdom, and you will find the knowledge of God. Here, Solomon, he's telling us, here's how you wisdom. We want to get wisdom. We need wisdom. We're going to do whatever it takes for us to get this wisdom. So the question is, how do we get wisdom? In chapter two, he tells us five ways that we're able to get wisdom. The first way is this. He says that you get it through reading your Bible, that this word is the way that we get wisdom. He says, my son, listen to my words and keep my commandments. This word is God's word. This is not just a word about God. This is a word from God for how we are to live our life. That's called wisdom. If you want to know what God thinks, then you need to read God's thoughts. If you want to know what God says, you need to read what God says. That wisdom starts with the word of God, that you listen to his word and you keep his commandments. This book is true. This book is trustworthy. This book is timeless and it is timely. There have been many hammers who have tried to beat this book, but year after year, decade after decade, century after century, it has worn out every single hammer and it is continuing to stand the test of time. That whatever you're reading compares nothing to this book. Whatever you're watching on YouTube compares nothing to this book. Whatever your junior college professor told you in English lit class, it makes nothing, no sense compared to this book. Right? This book is the wisdom that comes from God. This book is not just natural. This book is supernatural. This book is God's word written to us. And so if you want to get wisdom, you need to get in the word. The second thing he says is you get wisdom by listening 
to his voice. He says, raise your voice, call out to her, and you will get wisdom. As I was praying and preparing this week, and I was thinking about this section of scripture, it reminded me whenever Ashley was pregnant with Esther. And, and as Ashley's pregnant with Esther, I mean, it's this beautiful time. It was our first pregnancy. And as Ashley's, you know, just being this brand new, glowing, beautiful, pregnant and she would rub her belly all the time, and she was nesting, and so she's getting the whole room all together, and she's like making clouds with like cotton balls and stuff, and she's painting the room, and I'm, you know, keep buying ice cream for her, and every time, every time Ashley eats a nacho, the baby dances, and it's like, and then she's like, oh, okay. And they have this beautiful bond with one another. A mother's bond with, with her child, especially during pregnancy, is a beautiful thing. But as a guy, I got nothing, right? I'm like, she's getting bigger. I'm getting bigger. That's about all I got. So, so I'm like, we go to the doctor and I ask the doctor, I say, how do I get a bond with the baby? Because, I mean, Ashley, she's got this bond with the, you know, Esther and she's carrying her. And, but, but me, I'm over here and I'm just like, I don't, feel, I don't feel anything. How do I get a bond? And the doctor said the best way for a dad to bond with a child is to read to the baby while the mother's pregnant, because here's why. Because the baby can know the father's voice. And as a child is in there, then it's growing. You need to read to it. You need to talk to it. You need to tell jokes to it. Right? You need to sing to the child, because here's the reason why. Because even when a child is in the mother's womb, the child is still able to be able to discern the dad's voice. So whenever Esther was born, she naturally gravitated to Ashley, but when she spoke, she knew who I was. And now today, whenever Esther's running around like crazy and she's in the lobby, like got, trying to grab six donuts and make a way to the beeline to the door to escape, when I say, Esther, she stops. You know why? Because she knows my voice. If you want wisdom, you got to learn his voice. You need to listen to the voice of your father if you want wisdom, because wisdom's going to call out to you. Wisdom's going to say, hey, knock that off. Hey, don't do that. Hey, guess what? I love you. Come here. Come here. That's what wisdom says. And the more you listen to wisdom, guess what? The more you're going to know wisdom's voice. If you want wisdom, you need to listen to your heart's voice. The third thing he says is to open up source of all of hearts. When he talks about the heart, that's the seat, the sum, the center, the source of all of the human experience. In your heart lives your life. And he says, if you want wisdom, you have to incline your heart. You have to open up your heart. And here's the reason why. Because wisdom wants to get deep down in the most vulnerable, honest places of your life. See, there's a lot of people really shallow. I only want mm, this much wisdom. I only want mm, this much truth. I only want mm, this much honesty, really shallow. If you're going to be shallow, you're not going to get wisdom. If you want to get wisdom, you got to go deep, and you got to open up your heart. And here's the reason why it's so difficult. It's because people don't really have open hearts. People, they want just a little bit. See, I meet with people all the time, and they, they come into the office and say, Pastor Byron, I need some help. I need some wisdom. And I say, okay, cool. We, we, well, let's talk about it. Let's pray about it. And then after meeting with them, I, I give them a little bit of advice, and they say, mm, I can't do that. I'm like, uh, and they're like, oh, you know, I had a friend one time. They tried that, and it just didn't work out, so I'm not going to do that. They're like, well, what about this? They're like, ooh, that's too hard. What about this? Uh, I don't think that's going to work. What about this? Ooh, I just don't have the time. Oh, what about this? Oh, uh, no, I think I'm supposed to go hang out with my friends that night. I can't do that. Well, what about this? I'm like, I don't, 
I don't know. I'm like, listen, buddy, come on, man. Like, you got to do something. And the first thing you got to do is you got to open up your heart. Because wisdom's going to tell you to do things you don't like to do. Wisdom's going to tell you challenging things, difficult things, hard things. Wisdom's going to tell you you're wrong. Wisdom's going to tell you stop it. Wisdom's going to tell you you need to become a man and you need to grow up and you stop being so dumb. That's what wisdom's going to tell you. And when you say that to people, they don't like it. You know why? Because they're shallow. They don't really want wisdom. They want somebody else to fix their problems. That's not what wisdom does. People don't want wisdom because they don't want to open up their heart. And then the fourth thing is you get wisdom by asking for it. That you got to ask for it. Nobody trips and falls into wisdom. Okay, nobody's walking down the road and gets wisdom stuck on the bottom of their shoe. That's not how you get wisdom. Right? If you want to get wisdom, you got you to ask for it. You have to reach out. You have to talk about it. You have to ask for wisdom. And here's the reason that we don't do that. Do you know why? It's because we don't like we don't like people to know that we need help. We don't like people to know, oh, they don't have wisdom. Wow. Shame for them. We don't like to ask for help because we don't want people to think that we're weak. But here's the truth, is that asking for wisdom does not make you weak. Asking for wisdom makes you wise. Asking for wisdom does not make you weak. Asking for wisdom actually makes you wise. Right? My favorite Bible verse is James 1.3, where God says, hey, if you need wisdom, all you got to do is ask. I have wisdom, and I will give wisdom to you. The generous God gives generously wisdom to those who ask. If you need wisdom, ask. Asking for wisdom does not make you weak. Asking for wisdom makes you wise. You think God's up in heaven going, oh, my me. They need wisdom. Jesus, look at that. Did you think they would need wisdom? Holy Spirit, come over here. Look at that guy. Why is he doing that? Well, I don't think he's read Proverbs, but what about that? Uh, yeah, he needs a lot of wisdom. Well, all he has to do is come ask. And I got a lot of wisdom. I'd love some wisdom. Do you think God's up in heaven going, I thought marriage would be easier? <laughs> Do you think he's like, those kids? Whew. She's going to need a lot of wisdom. Do you, think, do you think that God's up in heaven going, they did what? Do you think God's shocked that you need wisdom? Do you think God's surprised that you need wisdom? No, then go ask for him. Because he says, if you ask, I will give you wisdom. If you want wisdom, you got to ask for it. You got to go for it. You got to open up your heart for it. You got to listen for it. And lastly, if you want wisdom, you got to seek it out. You got to do something about it. It says, it's like silver. It's like rubies. It's like gold. It's like hidden treasure. If you want wisdom, you got to dig it out. If you want wisdom, you got to do some work. If you want wisdom, you got to get your hands dirty. Wisdom doesn't come naturally. Wisdom comes supernaturally. Wisdom doesn't come from inside. Wisdom comes from out there. You got to get it. You got to do something about it. If you want wisdom, you got to seek it out. So here's what I encourage people to do. You're not going to find wisdom in one place. You're going to find it in multiple places. That wisdom comes from different places and different people. Don't go to one person and expect all of the wisdom because one person doesn't have all the wisdom. 
Don't go to one place expecting wisdom because not one place has all the wisdom. If you want wisdom, you got to go to different people and you got to go to different places. Let me give you an example. One of my best friends. We've been best friends since I don't even know how long. I mean, we were kids. And we got saved at the same time. We were in our first community group at the same time. And we began growing our faith at the same time. And this guy is amazing. He is so wise. He is so great. He is an amazing prayer warrior. He flows in the spiritual gifts. I mean, that dude can pray the paint off the wall. I mean, he is incredible. And for most of our relationship, friendship, he was single. And I got married at 22. For those of you who got married young, praise the Lord, I'm praying for you. I got married at 22. A lot of marriage problems early on in our our marriage. You know who I didn't go to when I needed marriage advice? Him. You know why? Because he told me, you should pray about that. And I was like, great idea. I should pray about my marriage. But that's not any help for me right now. He would just tell me to pray, but I was like, dude, I got nothing, man. I'll pray for you. And you should that. And I was like, I should go pray about talking to somebody else about this. And so who would I go to for marriage advice? I'd go to my pastor who'd been married 60 years because he had, he had wisdom. Okay, it's not found in all places. So for example, I'm an Assemblies of God minister. Redemption Church is an Assemblies of God church. It's the denomination that we're a part of. I love my denomination because it's all about having a healthy church in every community. They place a high value on pastoral leadership and spiritual authority, and we believe in the spiritual gifts, and we pray, and we desire to see all those things. I love the Assemblies of God, but when it comes time to get help preaching a sermon, I don't go ask my Assembly of God friends. Okay, you know why? Because we're not typically that good at preaching. Right? Expository preaching especially. I think there's like six expository preachers in the Assemblies of God. So when I need wisdom for preaching, I don't go talk to the AG boys. You know who I go talk to? I go talk to my Baptist friends. Because my Baptist friends, they know how to preach. So I go ask them, hey, could you help me with this sermon? Could you help me figure this out? Could you make a nice little outline with me? Could you give me a little wisdom when it comes to preaching? And whenever I want to see our church grow, when we want to reach 500 in five years, we want to see a gospel-centered movement in the heart of the city where every man, woman, and child can experience life change through Jesus. When I want to see my church grow, I don't go ask my charismatic friends, right? Because they have tambourines and banners and flags and tongues, and they scare everyone away. I don't go ask them. I go ask my CMN friends. Because Church Multiplication Network is all about navigating cultural systems and growth. That's who I go ask. And here's the reason why. It's because they have wisdom. That certain places have certain wisdoms. That certain people have a certain wisdom. You're not going to get one wisdom from the same place. you got to go to multiple people. you got to go to multiple places. So here's the deal. For those of you who are single, don't go ask your single friends about marriage. You're wanting somebody to, to get married. You want to find somebody. All the ladies are like, I'm looking for a man, right? You're not going to get wisdom at Luke's at 2 in the morning. Okay. And you're not going to meet your mother either. Don't go there. It's not there for you. If you want to know what wisdom looks like, if you want to know what wisdom looks like for dating or for marriage or for children, here's where it's at. Wisdom is found at 5.30 on a Tuesday at a dining room table with kids screaming, spaghetti all flying across the wall, and a husband and wife who pray for each other. That's where wisdom is found. For those of you who are struggling with your finances, right? don't go ask your friend who still lives with his mom for financial help. 
Hey, he's not going to teach you how to make a budget. He can teach you how to play Fortnite, but he can't teach you how to play a budget. Right? Don't go talk to him. Here's what you do. You go talk to somebody who has running a business. You go to talk to an entrepreneur. You go to somebody who knows what they're doing and can work an Excel spreadsheet. That's who you go talk to if you're looking for, if you're looking for wisdom. For those of you who are married and you're struggling in your marriage, here's who you don't go talk to. You don't go talk to your divorced friends, right? Because they're not going to help you in their marriage. They're going to be like, the best thing I did was get a divorce. It's terrible, right? I threw a party in mind. Like, you should do the same. He's, a, he's a horrible. I can't believe you. You deserve better than that. That's not wisdom. You want wisdom? You go to somebody who's been through it. If you want wisdom, you go to somebody who has struggled. If you want wisdom, you go to somebody who received reconciliation in their marriage from their father. And that's who you go to if you want wisdom. You don't go to the people who, who led you astray. You go to the people who are going to be able to point you forward. Say, keep moving. Keep marching. Keep moving on. Come on. We got somewhere we got to go. I believe that he can. That's where you find wisdom. If you want wisdom, you got to seek it out. You got to go. You got to go. You got to go look for it. You got to do whatever it takes for you to be able to get it. If you want to get wisdom, you got to seek it out. And that leads us to the last thing. Fourth question is this Who is wisdom? We've seen what it is, we've seen why it's important, we've seen how we get it. Now the question is who is it? In 2 Chronicles chapter 1, we meet Solomon. He just becomes king of the nation of Israel. As his father dies, he makes, he, he makes sacrifices to the Lord, a massive amount of sacrifices. God shows up to him and says, anything you want, it's yours. I'm going to give you the wisdom that you asked for. And Solomon gets wisdom. And he gets everything else because wisdom changes everything. That the wisdom brings the blessings of God on his life, and then everything in his life, it begins to change. He becomes the king of the nation of Israel, that they have never experienced peace like that before. His entire rule and reign, total peace. He not only built the temple, he also established the nation. That he was the most wealthy, he was the most prominent, he was the most powerful, he was the most wise king that Israel had ever seen. Until Jesus comes. And then Jesus comes and he's preaching. And the people don't listen to him. See, for Solomon, people would travel for miles to come listen to him. The queen of the south, the queen of Sheba, the queen of Egypt would come and sit and listen to the wisdom of Solomon. Jesus comes, nobody listens to him. Jesus comes teaching, nobody listens to him. Jesus comes telling parables and nobody listens to him. Jesus comes performing miracles, casting out demons, healing the sick, cleansing the leper. Jesus comes and nobody listens to him. Instead, what do they do? They argue with him. They fight with him. They criticize him. They mock him. Eventually, they kill him. Nobody listens to Jesus. And Jesus has something very peculiar that he says in Matthew chapter 12. As Jesus comes on the scene... He gets in a fight with some Pharisees. And here's what he says. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. 
Jesus says, you think Solomon is great? Something greater is here. You think Solomon was a good king? There's a better king, and he's here. You think Solomon was wise? There's one wiser than Solomon, and he's here. You think Solomon was amazing? It was great, was worthy? You think he was special? You think he was the king? Well, guess what? There's a wiser king. There's a better king. There's a greater king, and he's standing right here in front of you. And what Jesus is showing us is this, is that wisdom is not a proverb. Wisdom is a person. That wisdom is not a proverb. Wisdom is a person, and his name is Jesus. Because everything that Solomon was pointing towards is ultimately pointing to Jesus. Because wisdom is not a proverb. Wisdom is a person. His name is Jesus. Everything Solomon was talking about was really pointing to Jesus. Everything Solomon was looking forward to was really only pointing to Jesus. Everything that Solomon said was in preparation, preparing you so that way you would be able to receive the wisdom that comes from Jesus. Because Proverbs is a person and his name is Jesus. Let's just go and read through this one more time just so I can be able to show you. Take the word wisdom out and replace it with the word Jesus. Listen to this. Jesus is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of Jesus is insight. Do not forsake Jesus and Jesus will keep you. Love Jesus and Jesus will guard you. Happy is the man who finds Jesus. Jesus leads to life, and whoever has Jesus rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to Jesus and inclining your heart to Jesus, yes, if you call out for Jesus and you raise your voice to Jesus, if you seek Jesus like silver, if you search for Jesus like hidden treasures, then you will find Jesus and you will find the knowledge of Jesus because Jesus is wisdom. Everything we're studying is really all about Jesus. These are not just tips and tricks for you to live a better life. These are ways for you to experience life change through Jesus. Jesus is wisdom. And so when you're reading this and you're thinking, I need wisdom for my marriage. No, you need Jesus for your marriage. When you're reading this, you think, I need wisdom for my friends. No, your friends need Jesus and you need Jesus for your friends. When you're reading this and you think, I need wisdom for my finances. No, you need Jesus for your finances. When you read this and you think, I need wisdom for my kids. No, your kids need Jesus and you're the one who gives them to them. And so you, you need Jesus for those kids because it's all about Jesus. Everything in this book is pointing us towards Jesus because Proverbs is not just wise sayings about how to live a better life. These are ways in which we can live a life for Jesus. Because wisdom is not a proverb. Wisdom is a person. And his name is Jesus. And the wisest thing that you will ever do in your life is to give your life to Jesus. Because wisdom changes everything. Let me say that again. Jesus changes everything. Well, thanks again for tuning in with us here at Redemption Church. If this message was helpful to you in any way, leave a review, like, comment, or share with your friends to help others experience life change through Jesus. Hey.